welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we are going to look at scriptures from the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany. Now we usually don't get to the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany, but as I said last week, that is because Easter is late this year. We're looking at April 17th. Next week is the eighth Sunday after the Epiphany. There is not an eighth, so we're going to look at the last Sunday after the Epiphany before we go into Lent. So prior to Epiphany is Christmas and Advent. And after Epiphany is the season of Lent. That's followed, obviously, by Easter. So we're looking at the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany. Now this week we'll be looking at a new section of scriptures in the Old Testament. We'll be looking at Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 3, 4, 6, 7, 8. These are fabulous scriptures. I love the book of Proverbs. Very practical, very wise sayings. Quite a bit to think about. Not difficult theologically. Very practical. And I think very helpful for all of us because it helps us to think about what God says about everyday living. We'll then continue with our study from last week of 1 John, looking at 1 John 3, 4, and 5. We'll say something briefly about Philemon, and then 2 Timothy chapter 1, followed by the second half of John 11, and then chapter 12. Remember, we talked about Lazarus dying. Jesus is going to see Lazarus and is going to raise him from the dead. Along the way, he's going to meet the sisters, Martha and Mary, raise Lazarus from the dead, and then, of course, everybody gets all upset because he does this. You would think that people get excited about this, but they don't. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1 in the Old Testament. Chapter 1, verse 20. The warning against rejecting wisdom. This is a very interesting place to start because wisdom, he says, calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public square, verse 20. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had listened to my rebuke, verse 23, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me, you rejected wisdom, he's saying. When I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice, and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Now, we're not used to thinking about God in that way, but you go back and read that, 20 to 33, the end of the chapter, chapter one. So wisdom is very, very important, and God does not take it as a passing matter. He wants us to listen to what he says about wisdom and the importance of having wisdom in your life and exercising that virtue on a daily basis. In chapter 3, chapter 2, by the way, is wonderful. In chapter 3, 11 to 20, my son, verse 21, preserve 
sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you. Okay? These are important things. Blessed is a person that finds wisdom. Verse 13, the one who gains understanding. How profitable is it? More than silver yields better returns than golds, more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. More valuable than gold. Can't put a price on it. Wisdom is more valuable than having a significant amount of money because wisdom will guide you through your life in a way that's highly, highly productive. Chapter four. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. Verse four, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Wisdom is supreme, verse seven. Therefore, get wisdom. Okay, what, though it costs you everything, get it. Get understanding. Whatever you have to do in your life to get the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the understanding of God, do it. It will be more profitable for you than you can imagine. So this is what the writer to the Proverbs is telling us. Okay? Uh, chapter 4. Let's look at um, verse 21. Do not let them out of your sight. This is my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. 22. They are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is great, great information. Not theologically complicated, not difficult to understand. If you and I can do this by God's grace and help, you're going to stay out of a lot of trouble and make a lot of great decisions. Chapter 6. Warning against folly. So when you read chapter six and chapter seven, warning against folly, warning against adultery, how to make good decisions, what would constitute a bad decision. My son, chapter seven, verse one, keep my words, store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on their fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Whatever it takes, write it down. Put it on your body. Remember this. Don't let it pass before you. Don't let it go past you. Keep it. Hold on to it. Beautiful chapter. And then finally, the eighth chapter. Does not wisdom call out? Verse 1. Does not understanding raise her voice? Okay. Calls out in verse 4. Raise my voice to all mankind. Verse 10, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can desire can compare with her. That's a very strong statement. So you see what's happening here? To fear the Lord is to hate evil. 
To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Verse 13, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. I love those who love me, verse 17, and those who seek me find me. Verse 19, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. You're not going to find anything in your life better than this. That's in essence what he's saying. It doesn't get any better than this, folks. If you want to know from God Almighty what you need to have more than anything else, it's what you need. From the Old Testament perspective, get wisdom. You will know how to live your life well. You will make excellent decisions. You will stay on the right path. You will do the will of God. And so that's why the reading of Proverbs is very important. So enjoy this, these chapters on Proverbs. I can't wait. Now we go back to the end of the Bible in 1 John 3. Beautiful chapter, chapter 1 and 2 and 3 of John. This is his command, 1 John 3, 23, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And in chapter 4, he tells us about loving one another and about the importance of loving one another. 7 to 21 are very famous verses about loving Love comes from God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 9, verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. God loves us. God is love. God wants us to love other people. God wants us to love one another. We love, verse 19, because he first loved us. Wonderful chapter. Read it slowly. Read it often. Chapter 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Verse 5. Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's terribly important to confess our sins, as we said in 1 John 1, 8, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It's important to not love the world. It's important to follow Christ. It's important to love one another. It's important to love God. It's important to love Jesus. This is the testimony. Chapter 5, verse 11. God has given us eternal life, and his life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So Zoe, eternal life, is about being in Christ. That life is in the Son. Outside the sun, there's not Zoe. I write these things, verse 13, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which I pray is all of you, so that you may have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's very important to know that. Do you have eternal life? Do you know that you are saved? Do you know that you're in Christ? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that Jesus died for you? Have you confessed your sins? Are you truly sorry for your sins? Have you received his forgiveness? This is the assurance we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God is hearing us. The God of the universe is hearing us. He wants a relationship with us. And so we are in him who is true, the end of verse 20, even in his name, his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Where is eternal life found? How am I going to live in heaven forever? Through my relationship with Christ. He is true. And then he fin finishes in 1, uh, 
521, an interesting uh, phraseology, dear children, keep yourself from idols. Okay, do not, no false gods. So first five chapters of John are just fabulous. Enjoy reading. In Philemon, which is the last book that Paul gives us in the canon, meaning before Hebrews, there's Titus, and after Titus is Philemon. Remember, Philemon was a runaway slave, um, and this is the dialogue between Onesimus and Paul, and it's a beautiful short um, exposition about Philemon, a fellow worker, and Onesimus, and uh, what, what Paul asks uh, Onesimus to do, and partner in Christ and to uh, be in Christ together and the wise thing in terms of going back. Therefore, although in Christ, I'll show you what I mean, in verse 8, I could be bold and order you to do what you've ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love, that I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and me. I am sending him back to you. No longer a slave in verse 16, but better than a slave, a dear brother. Welcome him as a partner. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will pay it back, verse 19, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, verse 20, that I may benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Prepare a guest room for me. And so he's writing to his dear friend Philemon, um, and he, his runaway slave is Onesimus, not Philemon, uh, and he's asking Philemon to take Onesimus back and to treat him well as his slave. So he's writing and asking Onesimus to do something that's extremely difficult. Go back to the one that owns you, Philemon. And he's asking Philemon to treat him well as a slave, as a fellow brother in Christ, even though the one that owns the slave seems to be significantly superior to the one who, to the slave himself or herself. In Christianity, there's an equality about that. And so they are equal before the Lord. This was an amazing thing to do. Now, Paul is not commenting on slavery per se. He's commenting on Christian love and charity and sharing the gospel together and the importance of the gospel and how the gospel changes relationships between people. Philemon, take him back and love him as a brother. Wonderful short epistle for us. 2 Timothy 1, 1 to 14. We'll look at that before we go back to John. And again, this is his last letter. He is going to die very soon if you were to look forward into chapter 4. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. And so he says in verse 9, he has saved us. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it's being revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Again, continued excellent doctrine, 
excellent teaching, writing to his brother Timothy toward the end of his life. He's going to die soon. This is why I like 2 Timothy, by the way. So now we go back to John chapter 11, and we finish off what we said last week with the raising of Lazarus from the dead, one of the more famous chapters in the Bible. And so Martha and Mary, his sisters, come out to greet Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 25, very famous verse, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's saying this to Martha. Martha, do you believe it? And I think the question is apropos for us also. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that you may believe, that they may believe that you sent me. Take off his grave clothes and let him go after he says, Lazarus, come out. But the plot to kill Jesus. Now you would think, as I said last week, that after somebody saw somebody raise someone from the dead, they would get so excited that that would be the unmistakable sign that this was the Messiah, because no one's ever done this before. Nope, verse 50, it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Verse 53, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Isn't that sad? They plotted to take his life. Chapter 12, Jesus has the triumphant, triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. The branches, the palm branches, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And then 20 to 26, I love verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The person who loves his life will lose it. The person who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What a paradox. Whoever serves me must follow me, verse 26. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one that serves me. Tremendous theology and beauty in chapters 11 and 12 of the book of John as Jesus continues his ministry in dying on the cross and going to the cross, entering triumphantly in uh, the beautiful procession as we celebrate Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. And of course, Jesus has Holy Week uh, ahead of him and then dying on a Good Friday. Chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember chapter 10, the good shepherd. Chapter 9, the man born blind. Jesus is illustrating his, how great he is, how much he loves his people, and his divine working power. But the Pharisees do not buy it, and they plot to kill him. And as you all know very well, eventually, of course, they do kill him. Well, that's what Lent's all about. We've got a couple more weeks of epiphany before we prepare ourselves for Lent. And so what a great opportunity in this seventh Sunday after the epiphany 
to look at the book of Proverbs, to look at the book of 1 John and Philemon and 2 Timothy, and then finally, the book of John. We look forward to being with you next week when we'll be looking at the last Sunday after the Epiphany. God bless you and have a wonderful week of reading, praying, and reflecting on these scriptures.